the excitement and the joy that we're able to feel this morning with a great blessing that we have already appreciated, the opportunity of prayer, the tremendous capability of lifting our voices collectively in song has been an encouraging exercise, not only for ourselves, but of course with the intent to lift high the name of God and to appreciate all the goodness he has bestowed upon us, both physically as well as spiritually. As was mentioned in the announcements, we are certainly blessed with many of our regular numbers, some who have been ill and are back with us, and certainly at least doing better, and we're very happy and thankful to hear that news. And others who are visitors who have come our way today, and for you, are very happy and thankful. And if you have questions or other things that we might be of helpfulness with you in regard to that, please, we hope that you'll feel free to check out the Pippin Church of Christ. We have, uh, at least in the evenings, been continuing our study of the book of John, and so might I invite you tonight to come be with us as we look at the next set of chapters in that book. It'll be chapters 7 and 8, so if you'd like to prepare this afternoon or maybe at least think a little bit about that, that'll be the subject of our lesson uh, again this very night. While we're speaking briefly about the book of John, the next puzzle is available in the foyer, so if you didn't uh, select yours or pick it up this morning, it'll be the next puzzle again. It'll be the fourth one in that installment of puzzles, so there again, they're in the literature rack on the left as you depart the auditorium. Again, feel free to, to help yourself to them if you'd like to have one and to be doing those puzzles along with us. A matter of will. From Revelation 22, verse 17, we noticed a moment ago the word will occurs in that text, and it'll be around that word that we'll build our lesson this morning as we challenge ourselves to ponder to think about some of the interesting things related to our service on a daily basis to the wonderful God of heaven. Isn't it true that God is such an awesome and amazing being? He is the creator. He is, in fact, all-powerful in every regard. In Matthew 19, verse 26, it says, All things are possible with God. We read in Job 42, too, that in fact, in terms of knowing things, he knows it all. You and I often are aware of our limitations when it comes to knowledge, aren't we? So many things that we are not knowledgeable of, we do not know, and yet with him, Job said, with God, not only are all things possible, but he affirmed that no thought can be withholden from thee, as he was in fact addressing God. We also learn from Psalm 139 that he's present everywhere. Here in this place, he watches over you and I, not only today, but tomorrow. He's aware of what we do, where we go, what we say, and thus we're not able to conceal or hide things from the great God of heaven. He has indeed been so very good to each and every one of us. The physical understanding that we have of the food that we partake of, the roof that's on our heads, the clothes that we use to put on our back, all have been provided by the wonderful blessing physically of God. And what's more, the spiritual gifts, of course, that are found in Christ that he sent his son to make a way that you and I can be freed from the shackles and bonds of sin. All of that, perhaps highlighted in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When we contemplate how good that God has thus been to us, the question I'd like to pose for each of us this morning, what should be our response to him? What should that response be? Does the Bible give any details, any specifics about it? I'd invite you to proceed with me on a journey over the next few moments this morning 
as we not only attempt to diagram what that journey should look like, but also to provide some benchmarks, some gauges, if you please, that you and I might know how well we're doing in the fulfillment of our response expected to him. Let's begin that lesson by looking especially at what his expectations are. I think we're all aware, be it on the job site or even otherwise, if we don't know what the expectations are, it's easy to not meet them. For we simply did not know what was expected of us. We didn't know what the employer demanded. But when we understand and it's clearly set forth for us in a contract or by some other means, then there's no excuse for claiming I did not know. As we've already highlighted, God is the creator. In Genesis 1 verse 1, we are reminded in the opening pronouncement of, of sacred scripture that God in the beginning made the heaven and the earth. As such, he is the overruling power of it. He has every right to dictate with respect to it. In Genesis 2 verse 7, we even read in concerning the human family, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Furthermore, some of that is summarized in the words of Psalm 33 9, God commanded and it was done. He spake and it stood fast. As we think perhaps briefly about that aspect of his creation, that gives him every right to specify the dictation with respect to what the response ought to be. No wonder then we shall be judged by what he has said. In John 12 verse 48, are we not reminded from the words of the Savior himself? Clearly, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Because God is the, is the creator, because he has dictated his will, he thus can expect of us to pursue it, to follow it, to obey it. That leads perhaps to the next point. And this is exceedingly interesting, isn't it? God does not expect of us that which is impossible or that which is unreasonable. What he expects of Randy and what he expects of each of you as well is what we can do. He does not expect what we are unable by the best of our capability to accomplish. Notice, in fact, something said that points so directly to that thought in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way to escape it. Reminding us that even with regard to temptation, He has promised nothing will come our way, nothing will then overwhelm us, that we were not able to defeat, that we were not able to find a way of escape. We can see all of that in light of other passages that tell us of God's interest for all to be saved. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The famous words of Second Peter 3, verse 9. If it's the case that God wants all men to repent and come to Him and be saved, that must mean that it is thus the case that He does not demand what is impossible, what cannot be done. All that leads us to two brief points then that close this opening slide today. Since God's the Creator, 
since he has specified his will, since it is by that will we will be judged, and since, as we've most recently learned, that he does not expect the impossible, how is it we obey him? He has left us to make that choice. In the sense that we can choose to obey him, but we can also choose to disobey. That choice is left with us. God didn't make us as robots. He didn't force us to obey Him, but He also does not force us to disobey Him. He has presented His will, and He has thus left our devotion and love to Him as a matter of our priority, as a matter of our choosing, as a matter of where we choose to place our devotion. In Isaiah 65, verse 12, as well as Isaiah 66, verse 4, on both instances, God told ancient Israel, you have chosen to do that in which I did not delight. They weren't forced to disobey Him, but they chose to. They chose to follow the pathway of wrong, the pathway of sin, sin and sickness and sorrow. It was their choice. And in the words of Revelation 22:17, the text for this morning, that same choice rests with us. Whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. Isn't it sad that so many in our world are those that choose whosoever won't? God wishes all to choose to come to life, to take the water of life freely. Where do you and I fall today? Are you and I among the whosoever wills? Or are you and I among the whosoever wants? That choice is left to you and me, you see. But at judgment, we shall have to answer for which category we are in. With those as some preliminary thoughts, isn't it true that God has demanded to be highest priority? That's the thought that closes the screen. In Exodus 20, it was that way for ancient Israel, wasn't it? Thou shalt have no gods before me. How many? None must rest before him. Did he not say, I am a jealous God? There are no equals. And in that regard, Joshua told the people centuries later the same message, didn't he, in Joshua 24, 19. When you and I appreciate then today, the New Testament sets forth us, Jesus is Lord. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 6, 46. You and I thus must not find ourselves in a hypocritical state, claiming He's Lord, but then not doing what He has affirmed, not doing what He has demanded, not doing what He has declared. With this opening slide, we have thus set forth God's expectations, and they are not impossible. You and I can meet them. What might be some gauges? some marks, if you please, that we might use to establish how well are we satisfying the, these requirements? How well are we putting forth the effort to place ourselves where God expects us to be? Our first matter of discussion will surround the contribution. Let us use some of the things that take place in the world and many other examples might well be listed. I've just chosen a few. Isn't it true that sometimes we act rather disgracefully when it comes to the matter of contribution, don't we? We attend a movie theater here in Cookville, and you might notice that I've noticed somewhat recently at least $8 prices now to get into a movie. That's at least if you go to some other than the matinees. Thus, if a couple of people go, buy some popcorn and a soft drink to go, you're probably at at least $20, at least for what, an hour and a half, maybe a little bit more. 
And yet the collection plate comes around Sunday and a couple of dollars is placed in it. Or maybe another example, we attend a ball game and we enjoy the enjoyment that goes along with it, but ponder the prices that go along with that. Admission into it, the gasoline involved to get you there. Perhaps you purchase a souvenir while you're there and then also maybe something to eat or drink either at a restaurant before or after. No problem to have spent $35 or more. And the plate comes around Sunday and a $5 bill seems to break our wallet. Maybe we go to a discount store and have the habit of buying things ultimately we really don't need. And then the collection plate comes around and we fish in our pocket and give God what's left over. What does that say about the benchmark? Where are we standing with regard to the dedication if God is supposed to be first and the highest priority? Is our collection mimicking what we say we are doing? If we are the devoted and dedicated followers of Him, does our collection mimic what we say? God has spoken concerning the collection, hasn't He? Let's notice just a few texts that remind us what that contribution is supposed to be. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, we learn rather readily, do we not, that it is supposed to be given with purpose, meaning that as he purposeth in his heart, notice that we are supposed to have in mind the degree to which we can and should support the work of the Lord, the work of the church by that financial way. And as we purpose it, it ought not be a mere happenstance or circumstance event. But what's more, we are not to give of necessity or grudgingly. It is entirely possible to put a sufficient amount there, but if I would rather hold on to it and keep it and not devote it to the Lord, God doesn't look upon that kind of gift as favorably as we might think He does. We are not to give grudgingly or, as it were, as we're made to. But He says cheerfully. It should be our grand desire and joy to contribute to the greatest work on earth, the work of God. And as we contribute to that with the means God has provided, He has additionally said that it is to be done as we have been prospered. How have you been prospered this past week? Have you been prospered much? In health, in physical blessings, in the other tantamount things of life? Have you been prospered a great deal? For each of us, our contribution should reflect that. It should be a statement of our devotion to the thanksgiving which God has provided and our desire to participate in the ongoing work of the church upon, in, in this place. Our collection then, perhaps in one final way, might be viewed. Consider the gift that God has given us. In John 3.16, aren't we reminded there that He so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son... And he gave him in such a way, Romans 6.23, that we could bypass the wages of sin being death. We can participate in the gift of eternal life. And what's more, that great gift seen so beautifully in the words of 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And thus, where is my will and where is your will? And notice I put it in italics, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. If my contribution and yours doesn't meet the standard that's been set forth, being purposeful and being according to the prosperousness that we have enjoyed, a change is in order. And in order to be the kind of person God would have you and me to be, that change needs to be made. 
What about yet another gauge, another benchmark that might be used to help us see where we stand, where we are a whosoever will or a whosoever want? Might we look briefly at the matter of prayer? Isn't it also true that sometimes you and I might act rather shamefully with regard to prayer? And by shamefully, I mean in the following way. We seemingly find it so easy to talk on a phone, a telephone, or a cell phone for hours a day. Maybe we send dozens of text messages, consuming again many, many minutes. And when all that's said and done, where do we, do we find it hard to spend half a minute, maybe even one minute, to talk to God in prayer? A, really, a bit of an ironic thing, isn't it? We talk to others so easily and so readily. Look at the multi-billion dollar business that the phone companies have because we like to talk to each other. Do we talk to God that much? Do we enjoy talking to Him? Do we make certain to find appropriate time to share with the greatest being of all what our innermost thoughts are, the great appreciation we have for His blessings for us? It is something to think about, isn't it? And yet, when we ponder the fact that the Bible does speak about prayer. The expectations are clear. God, has he not said, pray without ceasing, in the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Did he not also say in Luke 18, 1, from the lips of our Savior himself, men ought always to pray and not to faint? Can we not even recollect situations in which prayer is mentioned in Ephesians six eighteen, Praying always in the Spirit. Does that not imply that you and I should have a prayerful disposition, ever able and ready to beseech our Heavenly Father in prayer? Didn't Daniel pray three times a day? Daniel chapter 6. Wasn't it the case that David prayed seven times a day, as we read in Psalm 119? It just helps us remember, doesn't it, that we need a linkage to God. We need to pray to Him. Our Lord rose up early in Mark 1.35 and even a great while before day went out to pray. As we ponder the character of prayer, may we recognize that we need that prayer. God didn't say that just to have some words to fill up the Bible. We need the strength available by prayer. We live in a chaotic, frenetic, often frenzied world and the calmness and tranquility of a few moments in prayer to God can make a distinct difference in our mindset and a distinct difference in the way we approach the difficulties that often surround us with each and every passing day. Our love for God is highlighted by the frequency and the desire that we have to pray to Him. And so that again leads us to ask, where is your will and where is mine? Are you and I among the whosoever wills or are we among the whosoever wants? We don't seem to have an interest in or a great desire to pray to Him. That would suggest we are among the whosoever wants. We don't really have an enjoyment in it. We don't like to be around Him. That might suggest very strongly that a great change is in need in a hurry. For you and I don't know about the brevity of life. And we don't know about the circumstances that may change and come our way. These two gauges so far have been rather powerful, haven't they? And rather penetrating. They touch each and every one of us with sternness. God leaves none of us exempt in that regard because He loves us. He wants us to be with Him forever. On to gauge number three. What else might we look at that helps us know whether or not we are among those 
whose name is earmarked for heaven and who are ready to inherit that marvelous and wonderful home? What about the sacred text of the Holy Word of God? Bible reading, opening the sacred pages and allowing God to speak to us by virtue of that which he has in his word. Again, isn't it true that you and I can be somewhat inexcusable sometimes in regard to our response to Bible reading? As we'll see shortly, God has stated his commandments rather clearly. And again, there are no excuses for not following it, but what do we do? That TV may blare onward for four, five, six hours a day. We take in the ungodly things that are there. We watch it. We listen. We open the newspaper and often read it with care and meticulousness. And we can't find five minutes to open God's Word. We can't find the time to open and allow Him to direct us in what is ultimately the most important. That's inexcusable on my part and yours, isn't it? There simply is no good reason for it. We ought to turn that TV off if that's hampering us from reading the Bible. We should turn that radio off. We should lay the newspaper aside if that's hampering us and hindering us from studying the Bible. What is ultimately the most important? As you notice on that screen again, Bible reading has been stated to us in a number of passages. I've only listed a few. But listen to the place that the scriptures ought to have in our consideration, in our mental framework. In Psalm 1, verse number 2, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. In the 97th verse of Psalm 119, Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. In Psalm 119, verse 140, Thy law is, is, thy law is perfect, therefore thy servant loveth it. Can we not see even in those ancient passages reminders of what points us even to things found elsewhere in the New Testament? Was it not complimented to those in Berea that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures? How often? Daily. Whether these things were so. Are we not reminded and even told to study, show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Those two texts in Acts 17:11 and 2 Timothy 2:15. Jesus, in fact, stated in John 6, verse 63, that the words he had spoken were spirit as well as life. It simply is inescapable that you and I can ever develop a strong faith without the Bible. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our faith will always be meager, it'll be weak, it may even come to be non-existent if we don't found it and increase it and allow that to occur by virtue of the sacred text of the word of God. That brings us back to the same question again, where is your will and where is mine? Is it founded in such a way that the benchmarks are looking good? Or are we far too distant from the Bible? giving far little, too little attention to it? That's a question only you and I individually can answer, but it's a profound one. Are you and I the whosoever wills, or are we the whosoever wants? These three that we've considered to this point, reminding us of the grandeur and the greatness of these things we can look at ourselves and know for sure, lead us to yet another. Let us ask also about another matter that can be used to help us see where we stand. What about the attendance of the services of the body? 
those officiated things, those assemblies of the church that have been set forth for our benefit, those things that are there for us to be strengthened and encouraged as well as to strengthen and encourage others. As has been the case before sometimes, our consideration in these is less than honorable. Because after all, isn't it true that we make it to work? Whether we feel good or we don't, we're still there. We make it to the grocery store because we have to have the food to fill our stomach. When we need a haircut, we find a way to make it whether the road's slick or not. When there are other matters that take place, we make it to recreational ball games and we often make it to the fishing hole or the golf course, even if it's raining. But isn't it odd that sometimes when it comes up to being Bible study time on Wednesday, I'm a little too tired. Would tiredness have stopped you from going to O'Charlie's? Would tiredness have stopped you from going to Walmart? Or maybe I just don't feel perfect. Would that have stopped you from going to work this morning? It's good questions, isn't it? it causes us to ponder, where are we putting our relationship to God? Where are we ranking it in terms of what's important to us? If Bible study is important, we'll be there. That certainly isn't to say that there are not hindrances. You may well be sick enough not to be here, and God understands that. But He also knows if you could have been here and chose not to be. That's true for all of us. That's a rather important and powerful way for us to ask, what about Sunday night? What about 5.30 tonight? Have you made plans to be here? What about 7 o'clock Wednesday night? Have you already cleared your calendar to be here this coming Wednesday night at 7 o'clock? That's an important Bible study time. Our elders have discerned by the wisdom beseeched unto them from God that that's a time set aside for Bible study. And as we've already learned in the previous note, Bible study is important. It would behoove us to be here if we can be. It's a time to honor God. It's a time to encourage each other, and it's a time to improve myself as I have the opportunity to sing, to pray, to associate with brethren, and to learn more about the Word of God. As we have seen already, this matter is a rather compelling one. Has God spoken on the subject? Indeed, He has. What has He said about attendance in Hebrews 10.25? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There was a problem amongst those to whom the Hebrew writer was writing. They were forsaking the assemblies, and the Hebrew writer, by inspiration of God, directly commanded them, Do not do this. They needed to be there. And what was good for them certainly is still good for the church today. It's good for the Pippin congregation. It's good for you and me individually. The attendance is an important benchmark. It, in fact, is a very strong indicator of how much I love being with those who love the Lord. And can we not ask the question this way? If I don't love being with God's people here, should I think I'm going to enjoy it in heaven? Should I think I'll even be in heaven? That's a profound question too, isn't it? And I think the answer is self-evident. As we have seen, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. Are you and I among those that are the whosoever wills? Or are we among those who are the whosoever wants? This fourth one, as we've discussed a bit about attendance, doesn't it remind us from some other passages in the Bible, this really ought to be the high point of our week. 
the opportunity to come together to praise and exalt the great God of heaven. Didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord, and I may inquire in his temple. One thing the psalmist desired, nothing better for him than to be close to God and his people. And in Psalm 84, verse 10, he even went so far as to say, I would be happy to be a doorkeeper in the house of God if that's, what, if that's all that I can do. It's amazing to think about what attendance speaks and how it reveals the character of where our desire truly is. As you think about that matter, might we perhaps ask one final gauge this morning, turn our attention to one final thing, that one having to do, in fact, with the other work that's able to be done in the programs of the church. It has well been noted, too, that sometimes our reaction is somewhat shameful in regard to this. It's interesting, isn't it, to think of the ways in which you and I can find the energy to support the things that are important to us in life, be it some community activity, be it something related to our favorite charity or a rotary club or some other civic organization, we can find the time to, in fact, support, encourage, work for, extend, and even promulgate the matters relating to that. But when something arises concerning the church, I'm afraid I don't have time. Could you get somebody else this time for that one? I, I just I don't have the time right now. There's 168 hours in every week, and who has given us every one of them? God. Who then has the right to control how we should be using every one of them? God does. Not a single person has more or less, if he lives a whole week, than 168 hours. That's 24 times 7. As we contemplate then, sometimes we are very happy to devote our efforts toward recreation and entertainment, and those things are fine in their place. We ought never to allow them to supersede our devotion to God, to replace our submission to Him. And hence, when the work of the church, there's something that needs to be done. Are we excited to contribute the way we can? When our elders ask us to participate in a program, are we happy to support that the way we can? Or are we much too quick to hope somebody else does what we could have done? Those are good questions. Again, are you and I among the whosoever wills, or are we among the whosoever wants? Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And do we not also read in Luke 9, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It begins with a denial of self. I'm not the most important. He is. If I deny myself, take up the cross, and follow him, the other matters of life will naturally fall into the proper places by virtue of the things that the Lord has commanded. As we draw near the conclusion of the lesson this morning, maybe two final brief thoughts admittedly, one of which is found at the bottom of this sheet and one that will be found on the next one. Reminding us again about the whosoever will versus the whosoever want. You might notice that in each of the instances that we have mentioned and the guidelines that we've noted this morning, 
be it from attendance to prayer to Bible reading to considerations of church work. All of that has been such that we've each maybe thought that at times we've acted less than honorably. We've acted somewhat shamefully or disgracefully perhaps. Maybe the Old Testament will provide one rather interesting example. When the children of Israel acted dishonorably like that, did God find it pleasing? Did he overlook it? Did he turn, for instance, a blind eye to it and still accept their half-hearted service to him? Or did he rather look upon it in a wrathful fashion and punish them because of their half-hearted service? In Deuteronomy 17, verse 1, we find in the Law of Moses that amongst the kinds of sacrifices that the children of Israel were commanded to offer, there was some that were forbidden. Notice that that which they were to sacrifice to God was only to be the best. They weren't to offer animals that were injured or maimed or harmed or sick or weak. That again pointed out God did not accept whatever was not the best. It had to be that or else he was not going to accept it as worship at all. In Malachi chapter 1, we learn that years later, in fact, a thousand years passed from the time that Deuteronomy was written until the time that Malachi was written. And yet, though the period of a thousand years had elapsed in the day of Malachi, they were trying to do the same thing. They were trying, in fact, to give God the leftovers, devote what they wanted to themselves, and only then to give to God whatever the scraps might have been. God, through Malachi, told them, you just as well close the door of the temple and go home. That's about how much good your worship is to me. Doesn't that remind us that in terms of the whosoever wills and the whosoever wants, the questions leave all of us blaring open before God. And in conclusion, can we not notice this morning that acceptable service to God is a matter of will, yours and mine. You can't answer for me and I'm not able to answer for you. But each of us stands four square before God, open to Him, and it's the desire of our heart that will dictate whether our service is proper and acceptable and right in His sight. We've looked at these five benchmarks this morning. The things related to the contribution, the matters concerning prayer and Bible reading and attendance, issues related to our involvement in the work of the church. Where do you stand this morning? Are you among the whosoever will? I pray that if you find yourself in that state, you'll continue through life exactly on that same trail. For you'll never be disappointed. You'll always know the goodness of God in your favor, and the hope of heaven will be yours. But in light of that text, as the Bible closes, maybe one final thought. Does heaven wait for those who do not will to be there? Does heaven wait for those who do not will to be there? I think, again, the question answers itself, doesn't it? And so, as we close the lesson today and offer the invitation, are you among the whosoever wants? If you are, let this morning, the morning of the 12th of July, 2009, be the day to make a change. In fact, if those matters in your life have been of a public character, things in which others are aware of your lack of attendance, others are aware of some of these other failures in terms of your life, you need to make things right with your God today so that you can be moved into the whosoever wills. 
And at that point, allow the church to be a source of strength for you as our elders lead and guide us so that you can participate in things. And day by day, let your faith increase. And as it does so, you'll be able to know the goodness of an eternity in heaven. Today, if you've never become a Christian, you also need to let that be done without delay. Because as you realize, I hope, that you're outside the ark of safety, God's promises are reserved for those in Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 3. You enter Christ by obedience to the gospel. If we could be of assistance today to complete that, following, of course, your belief in repentance, we would notice a confession from you and then baptize you. That is simply God's command, not our elders or me. But if we can do that or to pray on your behalf for renewed strength and vigor, where do you stand? Are you the whosoever wills or are you a whosoever want? If you need to respond, won't you let that be done while together we stand and while we sing?